you would please turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. James 2 will be our text this morning. And I think I've told this story before, uh, but I can't remember if I've told this story before, which may indicate that I'm, I'm getting older. I hope not. Um, But I've also been told that you only listen to about half of what I say, so this will be a new story to most of you anyway, so it'll be great. Uh, Usually, whenever I get a call uh, and I look at my phone and I see that it's a number I don't recognize, I just answer the phone and say, this is David. But a couple months back, I got a phone call and I knew that who was calling me was uh, the lady from Luke's eye doctor's office. Okay, and they had been slow in getting Luke's eyeglasses prescription put together and getting all that ready for us. And so this time when I answered the phone, instead of just saying, this is David, I answered the phone and said, this is Dr. Chisholm, how can I help you? Yeah. To which she immediately says, oh, I'm so sorry, Dr. Chisholm, I didn't mean to disturb you. I hope this is a good time. Is this a good time to talk to you? Okay, she was extremely deferential and respectful which is not what I usually get when I answer the phone. (laughs) And I guarantee you, had I answered just the phone and said, you know, this is David, uh, I would not have gotten nearly the same level of respect. Okay, here's the point of the story. People will always treat you based on what they consider to be your power or your status. Okay, are you better looking? Hey, you will get treated better. Right? Numerous studies have been done that demonstrate that prettier people get better service. And if you think this is just a man thing, it's not. It's absolutely true for both genders. This is why I always get a good table when I go to restaurants, right? Because of Rachel, absolutely. Thank you. Are you more physically fit or imposing? Okay, you will get treated differently. For instance, we tend to defer to taller people. It's hard to get exact data on it, but somewhere around 70% of taller politicians win their elections. We treat people based on their appearance. Are you more dressed up or dressed down? It will drastically affect your level of service. Anytime I'm out running errands somewhere and I'm wearing a coat and tie, I get called sir. Okay, whenever I go out wearing jeans and a t-shirt, you think I get called sir? Yeah, not a chance, right? Doesn't happen. Why? People treat you based on how you're dressed. Okay, I have a brother-in-law, Rachel's older brother, uh, who even if he's just going to the corner grocery store to pick up a gallon of milk, he will put on a shirt and tie because he just likes the way people treat him when he's dressed up. Now, whether you choose to dress up or down as you're going to go out and do whatever you're going to go out and do, I don't really care. Okay, But what I do care about, what our text this morning cares about greatly, is how we as Christians treat other people based on these externals. Okay, Notice what James says in James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? All right, there are a, a few differences between our culture and the culture that existed in the first century when James is writing that do make this text just a little bit difficult for us to apply directly. Okay, for instance, I hate to say it, uh, but based on where most people choose to sit in church, it's not the front seats that hold the most value, right? Okay, if you show up here late wearing jeans and a t-shirt, you can quite easily find a seat with a great view, okay? Uh, of course, if you want to sit in the back, you might want to get here early. Okay, those are the, the harder seats to come by. Right? Sitting at the head of the church table doesn't have the same kind of meaning in our world that it did in James's church. Although I think his overall point is pretty obvious, right? It's not so much about where you sit that James is worried about. What he's worried about is how do you treat people? You know, also, our culture today doesn't place as much value on dressing rich, right? For instance, you can't just look at somebody out in the world and know how wealthy they are based on what they're wearing. You can see people wearing a coat and tie. That doesn't mean they're well off. You see someone in jeans and a t-shirt. It could be Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook, right? You can't look at somebody and tell how rich they are. You might see someone with a Louis Vuitton handbag or a Rolex or something like that, and you can make certain assumptions about their level of wealth, But in the first century, you could look at somebody and tell pretty accurately, this is about how much money this person makes. The the clothing they wore was very distinctive based on income. Here at GCC on most Sundays, you can wear anything from a t-shirt to a suit and tie and fit in just fine, right? That's not a reflection of your wealth or your status or your importance, right? And I do like that about us, right? I like that you don't have to put on airs to come to church, right? I don't want to be a stuffy church. Right? But while our culture is vastly different from that of James in the first century, I think there are several principles um, of this text that we do need to apply, things that do um, apply to us quite directly. All right, here's number one if you're taking notes. That is, don't rank people. Don't rank people. You know, I think the worst feeling in the world to any middle school boy is when they announce, okay, we're going to pick two team captains and they're going to pick teams to play the ball game, right? Because as you're standing there, you're just sitting there going, please don't pick a girl before me. Please don't pick a girl before me, right? Okay, because in that moment, we rank everybody and you get ranked and you know exactly where you rank in the eyes of your peers. James says, if you don't want someone ranking you, don't treat others that way. Okay, Jesus addresses this with his apostles. Okay, a couple of his apostles come up to him and said, Lord, when you come into your glory, when the kingdom of God hits the earth in all its fullness, we would like to sit at your right hand and your left hand. They weren't content to be among the top 12 in the kingdom of God. They wanted to be number two and three. And Jesus says to them, he says, it will not be so among you. That's how the world acts. In the kingdom of God, we don't think that way. Don't rank people. 
All right, there's two ways I think we're often tempted to do this uh, that I want us to address. I, I left you some room on the front of your bulletin if you're taking notes. These are your sub-points. Okay, see, I'm getting fancy. I gave you sub-points this morning. All right, sub-point number one. That is that don't think of people based off of what they can do for you. Okay, part of the reason that it was tempting in James Church to treat the rich guy well is because the church needed patrons. I mean, think of what we could accomplish if we treat this guy well. He decides to come back. He decides to be part of our church. And he starts giving to this church. Think of all the ministry things we could accomplish if this rich person will come back and be part of us. He could be a huge boost for the kingdom work here. Can God use rich people in the church for his glory? Absolutely. Rich guy's got to sit somewhere. We might as well make him feel good about it. Okay? Our temptation is usually to treat people based on what they can do for me. Right? If you're at an office party, who is it you want to make sure that you go talk to? You want to make sure you talk to all the interns? Or you want to make sure you talk to all the executives? Why? Because those people can do something for me. Right? We tend to look for people who can either raise our social status provide us with some kind of entertainment, or serve us in some way. Typically, in our social interactions, we go around thinking, what can this other person do to increase my quality of life? Right? I think all sin goes back to us being self-centered, and this one is no different. Okay, the gospel says, uh, we turn this around, Right? In the kingdom of God, we don't approach people thinking, what can this person do for me? We approach people with the heart of a servant, right? We think, what can I do for you? In fact, what does Jesus say when his apostles are arguing about who's going to be greatest in his kingdom? He says, you really want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then whoever would be first must be your servant, right? Right, so I think this can apply in any context. But specifically, I want us to take just a minute, think about how we act when we're here at church. Right? Who is it that you spend your time on? Who is it that you socialize with when you're here? Do you mostly just talk to your friends? Okay, are we really focused on serving each other? Or are we primarily thinking about how to get our own needs met? Does that make sense? That apply to a lot of different places in our lives? How do we look at people and think, how can I serve you, instead of thinking, how can you serve me? All right, here's number two, subpoint number two. All right, and that is be aware of your bias to better treat people with whom you identify. You know, one of our strongest biases is to treat people based on what they can do for us. Right, but another way that our selfishness comes out, another way that we tend to make the world revolve around us is that often, even without thinking about it, we treat people better the more closely that we identify with them. You know, there's a commercial on TV not too long ago. I think it was a commercial for a razor blade. And it shows a guy getting ready to go into an interview with all the executives of this company. And he's sitting in a room with a bunch of other people. They're all getting ready to go into the interview. And he looks up and notices there's a bunch of pictures on the wall of all the board members. And they all have completely bald, shaved heads. Okay, and so this guy immediately runs to the bathroom and, and he takes the razor that we're advertising, right? And he bicks his head clean. 
Okay, and then the next scene, it shows him walking out of the interview with a big smile on his face, shaking everyone's hand. He got the job. Why? Because all of the people on the board could identify with him because he looked just like him. Okay? And it's funny. It's a humorous commercial. And it illustrates the point perfectly, right? We tend to be more sympathetic towards, we tend to treat better, we tend to help out more people with whom we can identify. Okay, and this is not all bad. Okay, and this can even be something as simple as if I see a young preacher, I'm friendlier with him than I would otherwise be because I can identify with him, right? I see myself in him. Okay, this can be a whole lot more important, however, as we get into some of the other conflicts that go on in the world around us. Think of some of the racial struggles that we have, the other conflicts affecting our country today. Okay, do we treat people better who look like us? Do we treat people better who align politically with us? Do we treat people better who live closer to us? Okay, we've talked a lot this morning about the flooding that's happened in Houston, right? And we identify with those people. We think about those people as being us. Okay, in so many ways, Houston is a city just like Atlanta. We can identify with those people. Okay, did you know also this year there was a flood in Beijing that killed more people than have killed, had been killed in Houston? Okay, we don't think about that flooding the same way. Why? Because we don't identify with them as much as we identify with the victims in Houston. Okay, where are we most likely to help people? We're most likely to help when people identify more like us, right? Okay, there's a million ways that this comes out in our lives, and we're never going to be able to treat everybody exactly the same. But I think the point of James is that if we're going to claim to be kingdom of God people, we need to be conscious of how we treat people and make sure that our biases are not causing us to treat other people in ways that we would never want to be treated. Okay? All of this to say, don't rank people. All right. Notice where James goes next, verse 8. He says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. All right, here's the second point. If you're taking notes, write this down. And that is that favoritism is antithetical to the gospel itself. Okay? Favoritism is antithetical to the gospel itself. All right, as you may have heard before in my preaching, I have two sons, one who's eight, one who's four, and they are such perfect little angels that this next story is hard for you to envision. Okay, but let's just imagine, if you will, uh, that one day Luke was walking across a room and he saw in his little brother Sam's hands a toy that he wanted. Okay, and so Luke walks over and takes the toy away from his brother. So Sam's reaction to that is going to be to scream bloody murder, pick up the closest object that he can find, and hurl it at Luke's head, right? Again, I know for those of you who have had children, it's hard for you to imagine that they could ever act that way, um, but that happens occasionally, right? 
okay, and his brothers, they fight and then they hit each other because that's what they do. All right, now, I want you to imagine that I witnessed this scene take place. I witnessed the two of them hit each other. And so I go up to them and I say, sons, did you hit your brother? Okay, and either one of them could look up at me and say, nope, I didn't do that. Okay, why? Because they're worried they're going to get in trouble, right? Okay, you can envision that scene. Even if it's never happened in your household, you can, you can imagine that it could happen in someone else's household. Okay, now... If my son has just told me a little white lie, is that a very big deal? I mean, is it as big a deal as hitting his brother? Okay, he's just, I knew what really happened. Okay, it's not really a big lie. He's just saying, no, I didn't do it. Okay, in my household, though, I come down extremely hard on my sons for lying. Why? Because I think the relationship that I want to have with my boys as they grow up has to be built on trust. And I think if we don't start from the very beginning that we don't lie to each other, then the entire relationship that we're trying to form together as father and sons is completely damaged. Okay? I come down real hard on lying. I come down harder on lying than I do on physical violence. Because I think lying is foundational to the relationship that I'm trying to establish with my boys. Lying is a big deal. All right. I think what James is doing in verses 8 through 11 is he's saying to us that treating people with favoritism is a foundational issue. Okay, this speaks to the core of what we're doing as kingdom people. It may not seem like that big of a deal to give preference to the rich guy. Okay, I mean, really, what's the harm in it? He says, but if you do, you are undermining the gospel itself. James says the basis of what God wants is that he wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we are guilty of showing favoritism, then we're not doing that. And so in this text, he brings up murder and adultery and talks about breaking the entire law. And I think what he's doing is he's listing the worst sins we can think of and saying those things are against the gospel. Favoritism is too. So take this seriously. Showing favoritism is sin. So quit ranking people. If you get one point this morning, don't rank people, right? All right, notice how he ends this text, verse 12. He says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, final point, James tells us, choose mercy. Okay, choose mercy. Whenever we're being honest with ourselves, whenever we really do take time to look in the mirror, whenever we do take time to quiet our spirit long enough to be reflective, we recognize just how sinful we are. When we take the time to really look inward, we see just how far from God we truly are as sinful people. And when we do that, we recognize that we have been shown an incredible mercy. God in his love has extended to us mercy in spite of the fact that we are not anywhere close to being the people that we want to be. James tells us if that's true, if we have been given that kind of mercy, then we need to be the kind of people who show that mercy to those around us. Again, if we want to claim to be gospel people, we've got to start treating each other the way we want to be treated. We've got to quit ranking people, quit showing favoritism, quit treating other people better than other people. 
Hey, we've got to be a gospel people. All right, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. We would love the opportunity to pray with you or talk with you about anything that's going on in your life. This song is a time for us as the church to be here for you. Before we sing that song, though, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Come now while we stand and sing.